Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to The Fear, a podcast about the overlap between comedy and horror. My name's Sarah Morgan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> My guest this episode is Shannon Murray, actress, writer, broadcaster, disability activist and lawyer. That's a lot of hyphens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going for that whole kind of multi-hyphen thing that millennials do, and I'm just packing in as many as I can. And a model. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, that's in my past. <laughs> oh, you're a, you're a former model. Yeah, former model. Can you... <laughs> Reformed. <laughs> was that on how to look good naked? Uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately yeah. it was. It started many, many years mm. before that in... 94, I won a modelling competition to find the first disabled model. Um, so a lot of stuff kind of spun out of that. Mm. And then, got years later, Gok and everybody at How to Look Good Naked mm. wanted to try and get a disabled model into a high street campaign. Mm -hmm. um, they picked me and I got into a high street campaign. Fantastic. So job done. Cool. And you weren't naked for that? No. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have been naked... Once in a photo shoot and once on TV. Please say everything there. Um, well, the photo shoot was for a wheelchair, the Millennium, for the year 2000. And Hang on, the wheelchair was called the Millennium. It was called the Millennium, yeah. <laughs> Not the Millennium Falcon, sadly, but just the Millennium. <laughs> like that, that's just <laughs> dates so well. <laughs> yeah. And it's like two days later, it's going to be dated as a day. That's it, out the window, lads. Yeah. Um, and that was one of those very, you know, chic side-on pictures where you, got, you can see a bit of side boob and maybe some thigh and my legs across. So it's I love very it. Very discreet. And the other one was um, post watershed for the BBC in a Stephen Polyakov drama called Friends and Crocodiles, and whapped my baps out by that one. Did you now? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I'm gonna go on Mr. Skin immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite mortifying when you see yourself and go, "Great, thanks for that screen grab, but that really dodgy angle." Thanks. Oh God! Are yeah. you literally on the internet? Is there? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, and I'm in a pool. Um, kind of languishing with another woman in front of our shared partner, who is Damien Lewis. <laughs> Holy shit, that's, that is a fun day at the office, right? Yeah, and that was one of my first roles on TV, so it was quite intimidating. <laughs> okay. Ha I was about to say, God, it would be really scary getting your clothes off in public. And then it's like naked in a hot tub in a threesome with Stephen Lewis. Okay, I think you can get over that. How, how Genuinely, how is it doing a... a um, it's, I mean, everyone is very sensitive on the day, building up to a scene where there might be any nudity. And wardrobe and makeup, um, I mean, wardrobe and makeup are always your best friends on set, um, but very much kind of on protection mm -hmm. mode. Um, and you get a pair, well, I got a pair of pants that would had been dyed in tea to make them flesh coloured. Wow. Um, the other actress didn't get any pants. <laughs> Because um, she was kind of diving about a bit, so her bum was coming out of the water. Whereas I'm just kind of languishing in the pool, just relaxing, saying, come in, the water's lovely, or something like that. <laughs> Is that your line? Something along those lines, yeah. It sounds very artistic. <laughs> it was, it was totally artistic. It's Ponyakov, come on, it's artistic. Very, yeah. <laughs> 
it's so relevant. Exactly. <laughs> That's fantastic. But I mean, you have been in so like such a diverse uh, range of of things. You've been everything from like EastEnders to like. Um, uh, a Doctor Who spin-off called The Class. Yeah, and, I've done done um, done a fair a fair bit of variety. Richard Curtis film is that right? You were in about um, time. That was a very very tiny oh. tiny part. Oh. Um, well then, fuck that guy. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> it was tiny. You know, when they did actually have a wheelchair, you know, a, a, a wheelchair user character that wasn't actually a disabled character, so that was slightly disappointing. Interesting. That was in Notting Hill, but you know, I've moved oh, on. is that character not really a wheelchair user in real life? No. That, that part, the actor, sorry. Yeah, no, she's not. Tut. Well, that would, but that was back in the nineties yeah. when you could kind of get away with that. Whereas now, I think, yeah, you'd be still hard though. to try and get away with that. Yeah. Though it does still happen, and and lots of people kick up saying it's fine. It's about the acting, not the disability. It's like, yeah, but you're not disabled, so fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> it's as with all kind of um, uh, minority casting. Uh, if, if yeah, once we've got a level, to playing someone who can field, play everything else. Yeah, yeah. When well, there's a level playing field, yeah. and I can go up for all the able-bodied roles, then fine, you can come up yeah. for the disabled roles. But while us lot, the disabled actors, are still only getting a few roles a year, then back off. Has it changed in terms of uh, people, like, necessarily casting you for disabled characters or a character who's a wheelchair user? Like, or, or, or do you, you know, has that changed in the last few years? You think? It's in the past literally 12 to 18 months, mm. it's changed quite dramatically for me. I don't know if that's across the board. Mm. Um, but I'm very fortunate that over the years, well, I've been mean, doing it for 20 years, so I've met a lot of casting directors. Mm. So some of them are now putting me up for non-disabled roles. Right. Um, and that's been amazing. So the past year I've had three roles that the character wasn't written as disabled. Right. And it's only last year is the first time I've had a role where the character has a job. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> disabled people don't have jobs. We don't. We don't work. <laughs> um, what was the job? <laughs> um, uh, journalist in EastEnders. Ah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, and since then there's been lawyer in Silent Witness. Oh yeah. I'm about to be a teacher in something coming out next year. Well, not a teacher. I'm mm. a school counsellor in something coming out next year. So, so yeah. what was Naked Lady in Hot Tub? What was her job? I um, mean, <laughs> she, 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 well, she didn't have a job. It was all very bohemian and artsy. Uh, we were just kind of living off the land. We were, you know, we'd gone off grid. Sure. Yeah. Off grid. Yeah. <laughs> off grid with Damien yeah. Lewis. So, you've, so you've, you have been in like all kinds of different things. I know you from us working together on a radio for comedy. Do, you do clearly love comedy. Yeah. I do. I love it. I don't, I don't get the opportunity to do that much. Um, when comedy roles come along um, for disabled actors they tend to be really oh god sorry people really badly written um, and uh, quite cringy are they written like well yeah you tell me how, how they're um, written it tends to really they really want to hone in on um, that I don't know if there is a name for this technique, but where you've got like a disabled person getting one over on a non-disabled person. Okay. And that's just so tired. Yeah. That's slightly magical role. Yeah, <laughs> and everything, and then sometimes everything seems a little bit like, remember like when Dom Jolly was at his peak? Mm. It's all got a little bit of a taste of that. Um, and just, just really cringy. Um, I think that's really interesting though. I th there's that, yeah, it's a, it's a really eggy thing of like, uh, not writing an interesting character 
because the thing about the character is a, a wheelchair user and they're a prop to make some other character feel uncomfortable exactly. or oh god Whereas it's, it's so much better yeah. if you just just don't focus on the disability write a character write a character <laughs> and then see what comes out of it yeah and as you're on set maybe prepare to just play with it a bit as mm. the random stuff that might then grow out of that of somebody mm. going well actually you know you'd do this or you'd say this yeah the uh, it, I mean it's it's thankless enough being a female character in a comedy a lot of time anyway yes. which is normally some kind of you know sexy lamp as they say it's a sort of <laughs> bag of sand with eyes drawn on it who motivates someone to go and do a thing or tells them to you know get off their xboxes and and <laughs> it's always like the stern mom Right, so the comedy yeah. um, that actually is very funny about disability, it's called Life on Wheels, mm. um, and it's a comedy documenting the life of Barry Wright, a wheelchair user from Essex, um, who, along various side hustles, manages the local six-a-side mm. football team called the Harlow Rifles. Um, if anybody uh, wants to check it out, it is genuinely hilarious. Awesome. And the best use of disability and comedy I've ever seen. Interesting. Genuinely funny. That sounds I'll check it out. Like to talk about your choices and start with what you were scared of as a child because you had a really interesting childhood. I did. Um, you had uh your father was Frank Murray, the manager of the Pogues. Yeah. Um, would you mind telling me a bit about him? Because he sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, he was, I guess, what you'd call a character. <laughs> um, you knew when he walked in the room, um, uh, a very, very big <sighs> aura sounds so naff. Um, but everybody wanted to talk to him, to be with mm. him. Um, he was just a really popular guy. Um, very charismatic, very funny. And very kind. Um, he grew up in Dublin and he went to school with Philip Linett. They were best friends. And uh, dad started roadieing with right. Philip um, when he first started gigging. Um, ultimately went on to be tour manager with Thin Lizzy, um, touring the world. Um, that was a large, like a lot of my early memories in childhood are kind of from that. Oh, it's like what? Um, being at sound checks, messing around with microphones, <laughs> hanging out with Philip or Scott Gorham. Um, then Dad went on to be tour manager for Elton John in the late seventies. So there are bits and pieces of that that I remember. Um, yes, yeah, so many random things like you know mm. getting picked up from school and uh, you know wanting to just like rush home and watch either like, you know Dodtanian or, <laughs> or, or Great and Chill, but it was like no, you've got to go to a rehearsal room. Um, or a sound check or a studio and you're kind of sitting there sulking. Whereas to most people, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, cool. I'm sitting there going, for fuck's <clears throat> sake, I'm missing great and chill. Did you feel like it was a normal childhood or did you sort of know that it was unusual? Um, I knew it was unusual once I went to primary school. Hmm. Before primary school, I didn't because most of my mates came from um, similar backgrounds. Hmm. So like all our family friends were either, you know, in arts or creative or lots of actors, lots of musicians. Mm. So that to me was normal. Um, and, you know, all the kind of the lifestyle that comes with that, um, maybe necessarily seeing things you shouldn't really be seeing as a child. Interesting. Um, 
And then I went to primary school. I don't know. Can we go back? <laughs> <laughs> it was the 70s and 80s. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so a lot I, of Lamborghinis. Yeah, lots of Lamborghinis. A lot of day glow yeah. clothing. Yeah, exactly. you, can, you don't you know, have to. I won't, I won't press you for just, details. I can imagine. I can yeah, use imagination. You can we imagine. can use imagination. You can yeah. imagine. Um, and like being backstage at gigs, you know, I hung out with my parents and adults mm. a lot as a child. I was an only child until I was six. Oh, okay. Um, so I went everywhere mm. with them. Um, what did your mum do? Uh, my mum made stage clothes. So oh, she made a lot of the shirts for Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Um, and then when uh, dad later managed Kirsty McCall. Oh my goodness. And the Pogues. Um, he was with, uh, he was doing a lot of work with Stiff Records, which at that time were managing, well, were representing a lot of other acts. So you've got, you know, Madness. Um, dad was also tour manager for the specials. Mm. Um, and mum would make clothes for different people over the years. Um, I think the most fun was when she was doing clothes for Dusty Springfield for a while oh, in the early God. 80s. So yeah, that was pretty epic. Did you get to hang out with Dusty Springfield? <laughs> I did, yes. How was Dusty Springfield? <laughs> She's everything you want her to be, kind of husky voiced, just brilliant really. Oh, amazing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. But it was when I went to primary school and I kind of realised, you know, everybody else's parents were wearing... Uh, you know, mums in in flower long flowery skirts, or mm. um, and dads in normal things. So my mum and dad would rock up in in jeans and cowboy boots, mm. and my dad used to take the piss out of me, always saying, you know, can you not just wear normal clothes to pick me up from school? <laughs> 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 or we'd have like um, uh, there was a brilliant roadie who was a really good friend of mum and dad, big Scottish blonde guy called Charlie McLennan, who um, women loved. At one point, I remember mum being in New York and coming back with a story that she was sitting on a sofa with Faye Dunaway. And Faye Dunaway was like, who is he? I need you to introduce me to him. Wow. <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody, you know, you'd see Charlie from a distance and you'd turn up in this big tour van outside the school hmm. and do a big whistle and be like, yo. <laughs> and all the other parents turn around and we'd be like, yeah, okay, we're getting picked up now. <laughs> oh, amazing. I mean, your dad sounds awesome. I mean, you, you, I, I read a, a, a sort of write-up of... Uh, his funeral because he passed a, a couple of years ago he as did. he said in the great rock and roll roll call of 2016 2016 that is a beautiful line from your eulogy um, which I wrote at 2am the day before his funeral freaking out oh my goodness yeah he died two days before Christmas in I'm Dublin so thank you um, but you know trying to organise a funeral and awake for about a thousand people between Christmas and New Year in a country you don't live in is pr- you know, it was a pretty much like organising a tour. So all the years of like helping, helping out Marmog, you know, dealing with itineraries back in the day when there wasn't mobile phones. So you knew, yeah. you knew maitre d's at restaurants and managers of bars or you knew hotels that when you were going around the rooms trying to track someone down, that you'd be like, put me through to the bar. <laughs> oh, like trying to dredge up celebrities. Yeah. Well, no, oh, also, when the, I was trying to look at my dad just yeah. for a chat if I was bored, <laughs> like, where is he Amazing. today? Oh, he's in Sweden. Oh, my God. What hotel? Let me look it up. Um, so all that came into practice when I had to do his funeral. Holy moly. But your eulogy is beautiful, I read. Thank you. I, read I mean, that, I just, that's, I mean, I can't imagine how... That's an intimidating crowd to play to. It's a bit lot of... Yeah, I remember um, me and my brothers when we were standing up at the steps of the church and you kind of, it's the first time you turn around and you yeah. see everyone in the church because your back is to everybody. And, um, and it was being live streamed. <laughs> Yeah. Internet, yeah. <laughs> that's modern <laughs> I know when the church was like oh yeah you can have the live streaming and I was like that's disgusting that's disgraceful mm. who wants to do that and then on the morning I was like oh fuck it he'd have loved it 
So I put oh. it up on Facebook. And so many of his friends in the States, in Australia, all over the place, were absolutely overjoyed that they could watch. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it just hadn't crossed my mind. I thought it was kind of perverse. But looking back now, actually, it was brilliant. Me and my brother, after we'd seen Dad after he died, we went to see him at the mortuary. And, um, and we were saying goodbye to him. We nudged each other afterwards going, did you want to take a picture? And I was like, well, I, was temp- I did think about it, but I thought it's not the kind of picture you're going to want to look back on. But we did. We were both like, do you kind of want to take No, not appropriate. Selfie with your dad. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I get it. I- <laughs> it's kind of like, not sure it's one you're going to want to look back on. But there was a moment of just, hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, it sounds like in your, your childhood you confronted... You were, so many things that people would find absolutely terrifying. Not, not confronted. Sorry, your your life was full of things that would, would have been like terrifying to most people, and they were yeah. like so normal to you, like being on stage or, yeah, being in show business and like seeing sex and drugs and all that kind of stuff. So you sound like yeah, sort of you probably have a very. And then of course you hadn't your accident when you were fourteen. Is yeah, that right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you mind talking about? No, that? not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was a little bit of a mini adult. Mm. Um, Sounds like a very bit saffy from our, our, Yeah, very yeah. much so. So, you know, I wasn't one of those teenagers that went off the rolls went off the rails and did loads of experimentation. Mm. Because I'd grown up around it, so there was no Yeah. Oh that's there interesting. No, there was no allure. Yeah. Um and my parents were pretty relaxed and I was always very honest with them. Mm. Um so if I had questions about, you know, sex, drugs or rock and roll, um, I could always ask. Mm. Um and so I didn't feel like I had anything to rebel against. Mm. Whereas like when some of my teenage mates would be like, you know, oh, we're going off to do this, that or the other. I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'd go along, but I didn't feel like I needed to partake Been or there. rebel. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't thrill me. Interesting. Um, and when everybody else was like, you know, falling for musicians or finding musicians deeply sexy, <laughs> I was like, no, you mad. <laughs> assholes. And then... Um, I had my accident on holiday when I was 14. My grandmother lived in the Canary Islands. We used to spend every summer there. And it was just day at the beach. I was diving off rocks into the sea and I got unlucky. I hit my head on rocks and I broke my neck and I was instantly paralysed from the chest down. Jesus. Um, I'm so sorry. And uh, then everything kind of goes into high speed. Uh, Bounced around a couple of different hospitals and then ultimately ends up in the spinal unit at Stoke Mandeville um, and was there for... 10 months in rehab um and yeah I I, you know some people go didn't you have like you know some kind of big mental breakdown and I didn't it was Mm. just like I've got to get on with this Mm. um you take it day by day some days hour by hour minute by minute Mm. and I had such amazing support from from mum and dad and my brothers and friends and family and I was just determined to get back on with life. Not in a, this isn't going to stop me kind mm. of way. I knew things were going to be different. Um, but I think it's it's about having like a fire in your belly. Or I remember I found an old school report and one of my teachers wrote, I mean, I was 11 years old and he was like, you know, she has an incredible zest for life. Mm. And I think it kind of goes back to that. Mm. It's, you know, it's having a zest for life or a fire in your belly or whatever it is that's mm. just like, going to keep on going keep on trucking whatever yeah um you know and it did you know it did obviously help along the way that because of you know mum and dad's backgrounds there were perks along the way so things like going to concerts when they were still not accessible Uh I'd just get picked up and carried backstage now that's not going to happen to everyone else 
um, or, you know, skipping lines at nightclubs and all those kind of things. <laughs> um, and then realising that by being the only, pers- the only person in a wheelchair in the room, it kind of worked two ways. You either got blanked, which was shit, mm. or you got an insane amount of attention. And I learned to kind of like the attention. As long as I was feeling good about myself, yeah. I learned to like the attention. That's interesting. Because you, you already had that sort of, uh, the background of being different and yeah. raised with a sort of very unusual background and very sort of, presumably very confident and very... I don't know if I was confident. Mm. I think, oddly, I became more confident after the accident. Interesting. I was, you know, at school... You know, I had a good group of mates, but I was taller than everybody else, skinner than everybody else, goofy. And then just around the time I had my accident, I was just on the turn. So my braces had started to work. I was starting to feel more comfortable with my body. I didn't feel quite so skinny. Um, and uh, then I had my accident. I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Timing. I was just gearing up for my first snog. Thanks. Um, so... Oddly, the confidence, I think I was much more confident after my accident. Interesting. Because I felt like I had to be. Mm. This is the funny thing earlier when we were, because we've been emailing loads about um, uh, doing the show before, because you listen, which is I do listen. Uh, I love. Amazing. I love. Um, and I loved it when you said, um, I find it interesting that some people after a trauma go all fearless adrenaline junkie, throwing themselves out of airplanes. I can see where they're coming from, but I also see how fragile life is too. Diving off rocks is what landed me in the chair, so I'm in no rush to do it again. Yeah. I like, that's, that seems very sensible yeah. to me. Well, it's like, I think there was, there's still part of me that goes, oh God, what would it be like to like jump out of a plane and yeah. have a parachute? But the other part of me goes, that could go fucking wrong and you could end up paralysed from the neck down mm. or dead or brain damaged. Like, be thankful for what you've got. Is it kind of exhausting to always be expected to be like, yes, yeah, seize the day? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, there's so much of it. I see there's like a burgeoning market on Instagram with um, some disabled folk who are really like, you know, whipping up some inspiration porn. It's by quotes. Yeah, yeah, the quotes are there. And every single time there's another picture of them um, in their chair, it has to have some big, huge, elaborate quote mm. underneath it. And I just think, come on, get real. There are some shit days. It's okay to say there are some shit days. But in the same context, you don't need to cry and then put your shit days on Instagram too. Like, Mm. I don't know. There's just, there's so much self-exposure. And I just, I think people need to keep a little bit of themselves for themselves. Yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah, Yeah. I completely agree. I think this you. Yeah, there needs to be something that's yours. Yeah, and I think also it is still being done to get the likes. You know, <laughs> I back on Facebook when it used to be like, you okay, hun? Yeah. And now Instagram's equivalent is somebody having a shit day but putting up a really gorgeous picture of themselves with some big dramatic quote. Yeah, where know, maybe wearing a Korean face mask and going self-care. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or like, you know, quoting, is it Leonard Cohen? You know, the, the darkness, you have to have the light. That's where the light gets in yeah. or some shit. That one's getting used a lot. Um, but yeah, in that kind of the disability genre, mm. shall we say, <laughs> on Instagram. There are a lot of people um, who... But then it's... What it does is it does provide, you know, inspiration for non-disabled yeah. people who then are like, oh, well, I'm having a shit time, but look, she's in a wheelchair and um, my oh. life must be better. And I'm like, do you know what? Fuck off. Yeah. You know, don't assume because somebody's in a wheelchair their life is worse than yours. Yeah. You know, that's, that's demeaning. It's patronising. And it's, you know, I don't have this conversation so much anymore, but I did used to have it. I think people are slightly more woke now. But when they'd say, you know, why are you in a wheelchair? What happened? And like, God, I'd kill myself if that happened to me. Well, maybe you would, Jack. I don't think you can handle it. Hang on, sorry. People have said that to you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> they should kill themselves. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> if you haven't got the balls to handle it, that's not my problem. <laughs> yeah, essentially what they've said to you is, hi, I'm a massive coward yeah. and massively self-absorbed. Totally. <laughs> Fucking hell. And my life is so shallow that if I couldn't walk, it would be over. It's like, yeah. really, walking is not the be-all and end-all. Jeez. That's, I mean, I just can't believe... Oh, yeah. God, people... But are, I think that taps into people's own fears about disability and being in a wheelchair. Yeah, you, I mean, you, again, this is something we were talking about in email, and I loved your... Um, again, you said... We, we were talking about people's fear of disability, and uh, and you said that, you know, you try and be understanding and, and uh, you know, you get where people are coming from and all that kind of stuff, and then you then you signed off the email with, I think it explains a lot of the odd behaviour and narrow ways of thinking. Well, that and some people are just cunts. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> My mate bought a toaster. We go through celebrities' Amazon purchase histories so you don't have to keep calm and love Dom Jolly novelty keyring yeah, and fridge that. magnets. Yeah, I love that. The G-spot. <laughs> the good vibrations, guys. Green dot laser sight rifle gun scope. I've bought that quite a lot of times, I think. Right, okay. The sex doctor's guide to keeping it hot. Ah, oh, interesting. Did another child come along nine months later? Yeah. <laughs> Loads of great apps up now and new ones dropping every Monday. That's My Mate Bought a Toaster from Great Big Al. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As a kid, I think I, I remember the first time I ever saw a Hammer Horror. Mm. I think I'd snuck out of bed because I can remember watching it from behind a sofa and I thought it, I, I was mesmerised, much in the way that women are by Dracula when he starts doing whatever he does with his eyes. Ooh, what is that though? Why do women know. love Dracula so much? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't know. But I remember as a kid, like watching the Hammer Horror going, oh, hello, what's happening here? And it was, it was a mixture of like fear and this, just, this guy in a cloak. Mm. Like, I don't have a vampire fantasy now. I don't want to be with, like, some big goth that wants to bite me. God, um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my type now. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Electric ballroom is your place. Cyber <laughs> <laughs> dog. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Tales of the Unexpected. It was like, it was scary, but you could sneak out of bed to watch it without it being, like, mm. petrifying. Um, and even just the music used to be like, oh, that's a bit creepy. And it, the, the sort of naked lady dancing thing yeah. was quite, it, it was on that edge of like, 
sexy scary like yeah. like Dracula yeah. you knew you were un- you knew you were up late watching something you possibly shouldn't be watching yeah she was looking a naked lady in a cat suit exactly and dancing in a fire yeah. scary a bit like some of the James Bond intros yes mm. um, but there was one episode that stands out because it ended with somebody getting locked in a sauna yeah and getting hotter and hotter and then I think it just ended the person didn't get out like they, they were clearly going to die in the sauna and that has left me with such a fear of being locked in saunas. So I can't go in them alone. And if I do, I feel like I need to leave the door open a little bit. I mean, I'm not good in saunas anyway. I'm never going to be in it for longer than three or four minutes. Mm. But it terrifies me. I would like to meet the person who, when they get in a sauna, doesn't slightly think, what if the door locked behind me and I was trapped in here forever? Because that yeah. person is who I'm frightened of. Yeah. Surely everyone... What kind they, of confidence is what that? Is Invincible. Going, they're the, 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 it's the patriarchy. Yeah. The patriarchy. <laughs> it's the patriarchy. One of the it. many facets of the patriarchy is they will go in a sauna <laughs> and, not, <laughs> and not immediately think, what if someone locked this behind me and I was yeah. trapped in there and boiled forever? Because exactly. I think that's completely... They're terrifying. Yeah. They are terrifying. Um, they're wonderful. Um, See, I prefer a steam room now. Oh, I prefer a steam, yeah. Much prefer a steam Yeah, room. a bit of wet steam. Yeah. A bit of wet, wet heat. Yeah, wet nice. heat. I like the smell of a sauna. Um, yeah, that woody smell. Yeah. Nice. I feel like people talk less in steam rooms because of the visibility, I think. Yeah, true. But, um, but the sauna saunas, there's all, they always get a bit chatty, chatty yeah. in a sauna. Can't be asked. I've been in people's houses that have saunas. Mm. Still Living a your scary. best life, babes. Yeah. <laughs> One was an old school friend. They had a sauna in their house. I remember we used it once for spin the bottle. Um, And then I'm sure my uncle had one in his house in Dublin. Mm. Yeah. Well, I looked up this Tells the Unexpected uh, because I'd not come across it. Um, I didn't make it up, I promise, because somebody else on Twitter remembers it. I googled and all I could could put in Tells the Unexpected... Uh, trapped in sauna and all I found was a website of people uh, discussing this episode of Tales of the being a missing one because they reckon that you see Prunella Scales boobs in it Prunella oh. Scales from Faulty Towers oh they reckon God. that she, it's her sauna and she gets her baps out in it and I now realise I think it's probably the same website that if anyone wants to <laughs> that you probably <laughs> screen grabbed on brilliant so I'm with Prunella tellyboobs.com or whatever it's called I'm in good company if I'm with it was some very thirsty men or women <laughs> who knows uh, all, all going like oh you get to see fucking uh, Sybil's tits <laughs> in a sauna and I read that and I was like I'm not going to delve any further yeah, that's enough I'll probably see it at some God, point I don't remember that bit at all I just remember the sauna and being it might in. not have happened yeah, we'll this never is true. know this is true Sybil's tits might just be something that the fever dream of a Roald Dahl fan well <laughs> I love how specific that was <laughs> I've imagined a thing, guys. <laughs> That's it. Does it exist? And if not, can someone draw me a picture of it? <laughs> well, in a sauna. Brilliant. Oh, you also mentioned the London's burning. Fuck yeah. That was some scary shit as a kid. Okay. Um, I found... So I think anything that was on a Sunday night that ended ah. a bit dark... That was gonna. That's a downer automatically. Yeah. But I can remember watching London's Burning as a kid, and I'll be, you know, you know, all about watching drama. Great, mm. but some seriously horrifically sad endings because obviously it's about fire. Um, but as a kid, it freaked me out so much that when it would finish, I think it was partly I had the fear that I hadn't actually finished my homework. Oh, it's that Sunday. Yes, it's that Sunday. I think, and then if you hit the spitting image theme tune, you knew you were really up shit. Creek. Oh God, yes. And the- then if you had the South Bank show, you were like, "I'm fucked. I still haven't done my homework." You lived such a rock and roll life getting to the South Bank show. <laughs> the 
But that that Sunday afternoon decline towards yeah, school. It like Poirot. Started Antiques Roadshow, yeah. Lost the Summer Wine. Yeah. And then it was just, yeah, it was that steady well, What was that drama about the two sisters that made the clothes in the 20s? Oh, fucking hell, The House of Elliot. Yeah, that. That was yes. another one. That was, that was all just Sunday night alarms. It just, your skin got smaller and smaller on yeah. your body as you knew that it was coming. Exactly. Oh, God. Yeah. But after London's Burning, I mm. then would sit upstairs in my bedroom and figure out if I woke up and there was a fire in the house, what would our escape route be? And my room was nearest the bathroom. So I'd be like, well, I'd go in, I'd wet some towels. Mm. I'd run into my brother's bedrooms. I'd get them up. If we couldn't get downstairs, I'd get them out the window. <laughs> and then I'd like go downstairs, get mum and dad. I had this entire plan. I used to run around like doing it. And that was London's burning. Put the shit of fear into me. I, cause I missed London's burning. Uh, and I, it ran for like forever. And I was like, did they? <laughs> it was someone's job, presumably a team of writers' job, to think of new ways of doing fire. Yeah. I mean, it had to be like human drama as well. Initial... But I was like, ultimately, there was going to be a fire. Yeah, it was, the initial one, it was initial one-off drama that was written by Jack Rosenthal. Oh. And then I don't think the series was written for him but the initial one was mm. but god it was a hard watch yeah I should never have been watching that Let's talk about your favourite scary moment from film or TV. Yes. You said a lot of different films, but the one I yeah. wanted to pinpoint down and talk to you about was uh, Poltergeist. Yes. Um, what's, I mean, I rewatched this for this. I watched, so it, watched it last night. It's such a great film. Is there a particular moment that stood out for you? Um, there's a few. I mean, obviously, there's the classic when um, Carol Ann mm-hmm. um, says, they're here. Oh, the timing of it. Which is just, just mm. perfection. <laughs> it's probably been like a good 10, 15 years since I've watched it, maybe even longer than that. And I just hadn't, I'd never got how cool the parents are. Yeah. Because they're smoking weed. They're just smoking weed. They're, they're making back. each other laugh. Like they were a brilliant couple. The mum's like, can you put yourselves to bed? I'm just going to go and lie in the bath. Like, they're really yeah. fun. Like, you really root for them. In, in a, it sort of opens with this, like, group of, like, rowdy dads all drinking, like, shaking up beer cans. Yeah. And the mum says, shit, I think is the first word she says. <laughs> and then picks up the dead, dead, um dead canary that triggers the whole thing off. Yeah, exactly. You know something's not quite right. This is not E.T. It's the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. (laughs) The the dead canary that they bury in the back garden on, spoiler alert, turns out to be... It's not a Native American burial ground, is it? It's just an old burial ground. Yeah, it's an old burial ground. It's just that the metaphor of the film is... You know, American. You know, we literally start with the national anthem, and exactly. then here's some perfect Americana, perfect Americana, and, and here's then it's, what you fucked over. Here's what you paved your perfect Americana on top of, which is Native American yeah. burial ground. And you, what is it? You, um, you moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. As <laughs> 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 he's freaking out with the developer, you just moved the headstones. I love, I love a, I love a willfully ignorant man in a suit in yeah. a Spielberg film, and then everything just kind of erupting with gravestones and bodies. Oh, that bit when they all come shooting out of the ground, so yeah. great. So I think that the, the, my two big moments in it mm. are when the mum 
is outside scrambling around mm. and falls in the pool and then all the skeletons <gasps> start popping out. They were real skeletons that's, as well. That's horrific. Apparently they didn't tell her until afterwards. They shot Jesus. all that and then it's like it was cheaper to get real human skeletons than oh my get a fake god. one. I know, right? Oh god, I feel itchy. And um, there was that and then the fact also that I love in the film is, you know, uh, Zelda who plays oh, Rubenstein yeah, yeah, yeah The Exorcist and she's like you know this house is clean this house is clean but it's not because they come back so you think you've got your tidy ending what happens to Zelda Rubenstein character I guess she must yeah. well, she comes back for Poltergeist 2 which I have not seen there's so many bits in it that I can't. I'm not. I don't know if they were just a. Tro- they were a trope at the time. Like clowns are scary, or mm. if they inv- that film invented the trope of clowns being scary, of little girls whispering sinister, vague statements. They're here. Of, I love it. I mean yeah. that, and then the kind of when you're in a bedroom and something's freaking you out, and you know the only place left to look is under the bed. Like yeah. you've looked around the room, the doll is nowhere to be seen. It's got to be under the bed. So you look under both sides of the bed, not there. Boom, it's right behind you. <laughs> like I'm such a sucker for jump scares. <laughs> I leap, I scream. Or the one where somebody's looking in a bathroom cabinet, mm. nothing there. They open the cabinet, get the pills, close the cabinet, oh, and the boogeyman's mm. behind them. I mean, that for this film as well got one of the best bathroom mirror scenes of all time. <sighs> which one? I think when I saw it as a kid, I... It is so outrageous. Like in a, in a film that I think was a PG when I was a kid, and they've ramped it up a little bit to fifteen now, which doesn't normally goes the other way around. Yeah. I think I'm sure it was a PG when I was a kid, which meant it was like a family horror film. Yeah. And the scene, the man just literally peels his whole face off, oh. and rips, and rips his jaw off, and it all goes in the sink. And Gruesome. It's the most. It's so gruesome. It's so appalling that I think I probably laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and then I never knew what the beast the, the the monster beast yeah. uh, uh, ever looked like because I always close my eyes I don't I think actually maybe watching it last night was the first time I ever saw what the actual beast looked like not, I, for, not a great special I, effect I, like something from the yeah. never ending story or I, something I close my eyes definitely like the, the things that scare me most mm. in, in horror movies I can watch mm. the gory stuff mm. um, but anything that's got like a religious connotation or a paranormal thing I lose my fucking shit I can't handle it yeah well you yeah you, you told me that you went to Catholic school yeah right? well, I went to Catholic primary school yeah. um, and I think it comes from that Mm. I but you know we used to have a babysitter come over and I'd just be like tell me all the scary stories mm. and then I'd tell them to other people at sleepovers and then we'd all have scary stories mm. and some of it would be based off who'd seen a horror movie right? and we'd be talking about like you know it was always people who had older brothers or sisters who'd yeah. let you stay up so you'd had like you know the first person that had seen Halloween or anything with Freddie, Jason or Michael mm-hmm. was always you know guaranteed to get a reaction but the scary stories and also then going back home to Ireland as a kid for holidays there'd always be some kind of folklore I remember the first time I heard about a banshee scared oh, the shit great. out of me yeah. but yes you, you're, I, I love the idea of a small bunch of Catholic school girls <laughs> telling each other ghost stories Scaring in itself a terrifying image yeah like two <laughs> g- girls in their uniforms going like have you heard the one about the, uh, the crawling eyeball or whatever yeah. or if you look in a mirror three times and say bloody Mary I'm freaking out like imagining totally. the shit we used to make up and then when there was one a school trip and we made up well no, somebody had a story about this thing called the bubble baby and then we all became terrified about this thing called the bubble baby and we thought we could see the bubble baby on the ceiling staying in a weird German hostelry oh god we used Hang to on, so go, what was the bubble baby I can't remember the, what, it was it was just like a large yellow luminous bubble shaped baby <laughs> <laughs> But it was scary for some... I can't remember the details. <laughs> but you, it was a bubble um, baby. 
you you said you didn't like like anything to do with like uh, meddling in dark forces, like yes, supernatural yes, stuff, like like Ouija I'll boards. I'll watch and... some of it. Yeah, somebody told me a story about a girl that lived up the road, and they'd all been sitting around doing a Ouija board, and they asked it some questions. Can't what it said, but then it started spelling out the world the word fire, and they were like, oh, "Okay, whatever, put it away." And apparently, the girl woke up in the middle of the night, and the Ouija board was in her bedside cabinet, and her bedside cabinet was on fire. Now, obviously, looking back, that was bullshit. <laughs> but to a 10-year-old, Great that story, was terrifying. A, te- a 10-year-old at Catholic school being told that yeah. Satan is definitely real. <laughs> and if you are bad, you will definitely go to hell. Yeah. You will definitely meet a demon who will definitely exactly. set fire to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I do believe in ghosts. Oh, God, I sound like the cowardly lion. No, I, love, I do no. believe in ghosts. I, was, I do that believe that in my, ghosts. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, I do believe you do in believe in ghosts. Yeah, I haven't seen any. Okay. But I believe they exist. Um, so I think that then ties into fear. So obviously I'm going to be scared of something I think exists. Whereas if I didn't believe them, I wouldn't give a shit. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a. I think it's really you know. I, I'm so ridiculously open-minded at the moment because I really want everything I think about the world to turn out to be wrong because <laughs> that would be wonderful. It's like if it turns out that someone does know more than I do or that yeah. more that the people who think they know things do, then that would be wonderful. So I'm very open-minded. I mean, I'm very into witches at the moment. <laughs> I always get into witches around Halloween. Also, I think there is a real push at the minute. Um in, on social media, there is so much more stuff about astrology and yes, and and witching and saging things, mm. and so I do think that is a bit of a thing. And like, yeah, the witchy stuff, I find that interesting. It's a, it gets a little bit Gwyneth Paltrow, Jade Eggs at times. I thought yeah. the witchy stuff, where it's like buy this crystal. Exactly. So I've just got, I've just got to move because my Jade Eggs. Um, <laughs> I like to wear them uh, when I'm out and about. No, I. Can you hear I me, yeah, sorry that clanking noise. <laughs> rearranging me eggs. Um, I yeah, all that stuff I find fine. It's just yeah. like. Yeah, it's, I think it's quite Ouija board, Ouija board specific. Mm. They scare the shit out of me. I think it's that thing of like, if you start contacting spirit, but you don't know if you're contacting a good spirit or a bad spirit, is it yeah. malevolent? Is it going to fuck with you? Is it going to possess you and freak you out? And then you'll be like in a film, like, what's that one? The Haunting of Emily Rose or something. Mm. Oh, right. What's the, I mean, the classic is the, is it The Exorcist? Yeah, I haven't the, actually watched The Exorcist because I'm a bit too scared. It, it is the best of the scary, you yeah. know, of the meddling with dark forces. I think I might be just scared of the, the panpipe music. Yeah, a bit Mike Oldfield. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and isn't that? Uh, in fact, isn't that how Richard Branson got rich? Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, he worked at Virgin. He, tubular bells. He loved tubular bells, and he uh, put it out as a. I think he pushed for it to be, you know, an album that, that no one else so cared about. So we've got him to made, blame for it. So basically, if our NHS gets bought by. Virgin. A bearded cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a nicer way of putting it. <laughs> Then we can play in the film The Exorcist. Yeah. <gasps> That's like the that real tie-in. horror. I like oh, that tie in. The real horror <laughs> is not made up fucking goblins. The real horror is that. Richard, does that. I mean, as someone oh, who presumably God. has quite a lot of vested interest in the NHS. Yeah, that does not fill me with any joy whatsoever. Is it? It's, it's like we, I mean, we have a segueing beautifully into fears you live with now. Yes. The, um... <laughs> there are so many. Yeah. You, it was great. I said, can tell me about a fear you live with now. And you said cockroaches, which we can absolutely talk about. And then you went, but I, there's loads of other things, but I don't want to be a bummer. And it's like, be a bummer. All right, well, I'll do. I'll it's do not a... a bummer, it's sharing. I mean, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do a bit of both. So cockroaches yeah. terrify me. I don't know if it's, it's, it's their speed, it's the antennae, it's the fact they can fly. 
Um, like I thought they were horrific anyway. Mm. Then I found out they could fly, and I was like, "Are you taking the fucking piss?" <laughs> um, and then one flew into my hair on holiday, and I realised nobody was taking the piss. The fuckers can fly. Um, that was horrific. Also, they're going to outlive us all. Yeah, you, you like, like quite, quite, quite comforting. No, no, no I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I apologise. I yeah. did leave a holiday early because there was a cockroach outside my room, and I freaked out. Um, I was also starting to come down with swine flu. I didn't know that at the time, but subsequently I did realise I had swine flu, so that might have... That know, is an unpleasant... That, yeah, yeah, that might have clouded my judgement somewhat. Mm. I don't know. But yeah, I am absolutely fucking terrified of them. Um, so uh, they are a fear I live with, particularly on, on holidays. Do we um, have much of them in the UK? Are they? I've uh... only ever seen one once in a swimming pool in East London. Oh. Um, in a changing room, and I got the fuck out of there really quickly and then oh, changed in the corridor. Jesus. Um, but no, generally it's on holiday in hot countries. But it's one of the reasons I haven't done like the whole kind of Southeast Asia mm. thing or South America. I do realise I would have to go for some kind of hypnosis treatment. Because I do mm. want to go and visit those countries. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there will be some So it really does, required. it actually restricts you from... Yeah, I'm uh, just kind of like, no, that, that, that's too scary. They'll be like the side, they'll be like a foot long. Um, but then on the other side, like the more serious things, oh God. Um, I suppose like living as a disabled person in the UK, you know, access isn't always great. Treatment isn't always great. I mean, I'm very lucky. There are people much worse off than me. But, the, you know, when you see care home exposés that's worrying it's kind of like well, what if I end up in one when I'm older um, uh, and I'm really badly mistreated or what if a loved one um, I very rarely talk about this but my mum has early onset Alzheimer's um, and we've been living with that for about six years and she's only kind of starting to show more evidence of it and decline because it was caught really early um, and the thought of her being mistreated in a care home. Yeah. Like, that terrifies me. Um, so I think, you know, that's that's a big scary one. Um, and But also there's a lot of humour that comes with that. You know, we come, I come from a very big Dublin family, always had a very dry, very dark sense of humour. That's what got us through my accident. Mm. And that's the same thing, you know, we apply to mum. Um, we uh, started calling it Ali Z because it's a nicer name than, like, Alzheimer's is such a harsh fucking word. It's such an ugly word. So Ali Z is just a bit lighter and it's shorter for text messages. Um, and yeah, I've got two brothers that live in the States, one brother that lives in the UK. And we, you know, we've got our kind of sibling WhatsApp chat, like most families. And that's what keeps us, you know, sane and together and pinging stories or photographs or her singing in the car um, to random 80s tracks that she seems to know the words off by heart for some reason that I don't quite understand this is, this is a recent development that she knows yeah I was in traffic mm. a few weeks ago really hot sunny day I had the windows down mm. and um, I've realised that you know she'll sing along a lot to heart 80s so sometimes I'll put that on oh, nice. um, and she's just started singing along to uh, Hadley and Spandau Ballet for gold hand actions and everything <laughs> and I was like whoa I didn't realise you were such a Spandau Ballet fan in the 80s when you were actually hanging out in like the, the, the limelight or whatever <laughs> oh yeah hang on she had a whole different life in the 80s that was not that music it was yeah like, no exactly it was all pogues and, and uh, yeah but I mean I can remember stiff, stiff records yeah. it's kind of thinking back to names that would just get bandied around the house mm. And it'd be like, you know, I'd see mum getting ready and like, you know, there'd be a fur coat and makeup and everything and I could smell opium. 
the perfume, not the drug. Oh, and but it was kind of a drug. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sm- it's the second you said it, I went a bit woozy. Yeah, I'm straight oh. back. Mm. I'm straight back. And um, but it'd be like you know where you have to oh Dan Steve strangers, and it's kind of like now I look back at like how radical. <laughs> That was. That was my parents' lifestyle. You know, I only kind of started to really gate crash it, I suppose, the late 90s. And I used to blag my dad's Groucho membership. And I, I, so I spent, you know, I had a misspent youth in the Groucho, which makes me sound like a massive fucking wanker, I realise. <laughs> I can only apologise. <laughs> I love the, the, the sort of little images. Oh, hang on, how old are you then? Uh, that was from about the age of like 18 to... 22, 23. Amazing. <laughs> you know, childhood was spent running around the electric ballroom. Yeah. You know, that was my playground. <laughs> I just sound like a massive dick. I'm sorry. But it was the, I mean, yeah, electric ballroom at that time was just the goth central, wasn't it? Yeah. and But it was where lots of people went for sound checks as well. Right. Oh, um, okay. And rehearsals and that. And there's a place, John Henry's. There's some different studios. And they were just like the way that I suppose other people's mum and dad would talk mm. about you know we're going over to uncle roger you know or whatever for yeah. me it was all it was all music industry it's you, were you did you ever have a goth phase no fucking hated that shit <laughs> i would i would move and this is just a theory and please correct me if i'm being very patronizing or wrong here but i would imagine if you'd gone through what you went through when you were 14 and then you looked at a bunch of your peers who were fucking moping around because of their mock a level results in fucking eyeliner and pvc and buffalo boots i would fucking hate this yeah no my teenage years I so I went I after my accident I couldn't go back to my old school which was just around the corner in a Victorian building yeah. so I went to a sixth form in West London um, and I was all about hip hop and R and B nice that, that was me nineties oh. nineties yeah. R and B and hip hop that yeah. makes that makes a lot more sense yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk to you both very briefly about your blog. Yes, Good. which is slightly inactive at the moment because I need to refurb. Well, now you've got an excuse. Yes, there'll be traffic. Pressure, now. pressure, so pressure. much traffic from this podcast <laughs> in like, the millions. The clicks. Uh, I'll think be, of some clickbait. They'll be swarming. But you wrote a brilliant article um, on International Women's Day um, about intersectionality, which is that you you, you talked about um, International Women's Day being for all women. Brackets but not you. Yeah. Um, and there was a thing you said on there about um, it sort of not wanting to be the angry disabled person who was ranting about how ex- exclusive, not, not like limited, but like how un- uninclusive um, certain aspects of feminism were on International Women's Day where they were, yeah. everyone was in a little bracket that was uh, women, trans, bi, uh, women of colour and, and disabled women weren't included in that. Yeah. And it's a really brilliant read. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, but you, you, about halfway through, you sort of, you, you get the fear. You get, you get worried that you sound like an angry, ranting, disabled person. Yeah. I, I'm just going to read a little bit because I think this is brilliant. You put, why are people so fearful of anger? Why do we compliment those who suppress their anger and frustration? It's emotion like any other, a response, a reaction, and can be a positive tool to galvanise and motivate people and organisations into action. I mean, I think that's really interesting that you're scared of being seen of, as an angry person. I think it's because I feel like I've been told that anger is bad. Mm. Um, it's a bit like when people say to you in an argument, oh, the moment you raise your voice, you lost an argument. <laughs> well, the moment you swear, you lost an argument, and I just want to yell, well, you fuck off! 
because I don't believe that. I mean, yes, I can argue very articulately um, when I need to. I'm a trained lawyer, so you know, I can I can put facts and I can be articulate and I can use really patronising four syllable words if I have to. <laughs> but when I'm in the rage, <laughs> it tends to be quite sweary, um, which I think is uh, is okay. I don't have a problem with swearing, but the there is so much in daily life that can be frustrating and mm. I pick my battles very very mm. selectively because it's exhausting to carry around that much yeah. anger um, and it's frustrating when people um, kind of put you in a box mm. so I think I felt a little bit conflicted with this kind of new wave of feminism which is amazing mm. um, so that you know younger girls feel empowered to say no things say yes to things yeah. to, to, to own themselves Um but I kind of felt like that was instilled in me growing up. Yeah. Um, and then because I then went through so much later in my teens with my accident and everything, um, I guess there's part of me that feels a little bit like, oh, come on, get a grip. Yeah. Like, empower yourselves. Let's let's just keep moving. Um, so I'm going off on a tangent here. No, no. But with the, the intersectionality, what was frustrating was when people would say, oh, mean all women, and then the event didn't have wheelchair access. Yeah. So it's like, I'm trying to buy tickets. I'm trying to be part of this. Yeah. But I'm automatically excluded because your event is in some trendy space in East London yeah. that has no fucking wheelchair access. I love your point about, I mean, it's great that we all have safe spaces, but can I go for a wee first? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's such a brilliant like, point. We, you know, if you've got space in a building, can you make it a disabled toilet before you make it a safe space? <laughs> there has to be a kind of category of needs here. Um, and what was hard was, I mean, a few, this was before the word intersectionality became mm. such a buzzword, because I know that it was initially um, kind of created to be applied to race mm. and disabled people. We know we've hijacked it slightly. Um, but <laughs> yeah, selfish you know, bastards. Yeah, kind of hijacked to the open word. the conversation. <laughs> um, but before everything kind of, God, this was, must be about seven or eight years ago, a couple of people put me forward to a editor of a part of a newspaper mm. saying you should get Shannon to write mm. about this which was lovely and then the person got in touch and said what would you like to write about and I didn't know intersectionality as a word so yeah. I was trying to explain how I was starting to feel with all this kind of new yeah. feminism that's coming up and I knew she was a feminist mm. but no not interested couldn't see it yeah. And it's like, no, you can't see it because you've got fucking privilege. Yeah. So you can't see that it. That particular kind of feminism that is essentially, that that, it, that that thinks all feminism should look like... Should look, look a particular way. Look exactly like itself. And the kind of... I, I'm i kind of anti the whole kind of... The, the slut-shaming direction that I feel some feminism takes. Mm. And it was like, you know, wolf whistle, bad. And it's like, well, no, hang on. If you're a disabled woman who's been told your entire life that you are not sexual, you're not sensual, you have no desire, you're essentially invisible mm. to, you know, whatever sexuality um, you you have an affinity with. And then somebody, male or female, gives you a compliment or mm. wolf whistles you. That could make your fucking month. <laughs> so to then start saying, no, that's really inappropriate. It's kind of like, well, no, there are moments when it's inappropriate, but there are moments when it's going to make someone's day because they felt their entire life like they're invisible yeah. and somebody has recognised them as, you know, not just being, you know, really intelligent and like Stephen Hawking because <laughs> that's one group of disabled people. Um, or you've got to be a super athlete. Um, that's another group of disabled people. Mm. But some of us are just out here, you know, doing our grind. Yeah. And like anybody else, want to be seen as like, you know, whether it be funny, whether it be sexy, whatever. But mm. recognise as a human being. Well, yeah, God. Well, the idea of the angry feminist, 
I think is I think it's the same emotion where it's like if women start getting passionate and articulate exactly. um, and I think for me coming from an Irish background mm. and you know where everything is very vocal and we do get loud and we are passionate and then sometimes when I'm with a bunch of very British friends mm. It can be like, you know, calm down or, you know, you're really passionate about it. Or you're getting really worked up. And it's like, yes, I fucking am. Yeah. But I then feel like I must be doing something wrong or am I this really angry person? Mm. And I'm not. I'm just passionate and I'm vocal and I do say what I think. I'm really shit at keeping things in. <laughs> really shit at keeping things in. <laughs> Thank fucking God. On behalf, of, <laughs> on behalf of your many fans. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Shannon Murray, thank you. Thank oh, you. Oh, your Instagram handle is shenanigans. Shenanigans <laughs> underscore happy. Murray. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where people can find you. Shannon Murray, thank you so much for coming on the thing. Thank fair. you. Cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.